You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, we are starting a new worship series today on Back to School Sunday. It's called The Games we play, uh, and I love. I give thanks for our worship design team who uh, helped us with the altar table. Uh, they also uh, put a table outside to help uh, communicate the games we play and what it means to be in fellowship with one another uh, through board games, through online games, through maybe the political games that we play with each other. And I know you're in the church. There are no politics in the church, so I'm just talking about outside in the big bad world. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse 15. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show difference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's an exciting time of year. Uh, school supplies have been gathered. I know there are lots of kids with new shoes in boxes that they're just itching to wear, but they're school shoes, so you have to be patient for just a couple more days. Uh, students are looking at their new backpacks. If they have a new backpack, trying to figure out what all of the zippers are supposed to be. It's an exciting time of year. As a parent, of course, I'm looking forward to the beginning of the new academic year. Uh, it's because in the beginning of the new year, there's a new weekly rhythm, right? Students are learning new things. There's also memory markers like first homecoming, first football game, uh, uh, field trips, uh, ways that we as parents can volunteer, like the snack store. It's the beginning of, there's so much potential at the beginning of each and every semester. As a pastor, not only as a dad, as a pastor, I'm also thankful for the beginning of another year because it reminds us that we are all to be about the renewal of our minds. God gave us brains and we are called to use them, to learn about the gift of God's creation, the, the miracle of music, the magic of math. There's a, a hymn in the United Methodist Supplemental Hymnal, which is called The Faith We Sing. It's one of them. We have lot, as Methodists, we have lots of different hymnals and they're all lovely. In The Faith We Sing, it's called Praise the Source of Faith and learning. And it has the da 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 but here are the words. Praise the source of faith and learning that has sparked 
and stoked the mind with a passion for discerning how the world has been designed. Let the sense of wonder flowing from the wonders we survey keep our faith ever growing and renew our need to pray. There is certainly a lot to look forward to at the beginning of each semester, but there is one thing I do not look forward to. And it's not lunch money, it's not the early mornings, it's not homework, it's car line. And Judy Carson knows exactly where I'm going, where I'm, what I'm about to say. First of all, airline is flipping Mad Max. There's just cars going everywhere. Like searching for water, searching for all the things. It's just, it's, 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 it's a nightmare. But specifically, like uh, my kids go to, the, to Stockwell uh, and, and also Cope, especially in the first week of school, it's madness because people do not understand the zipper method. You know the zipper method, right? You go, I go. You go, I go. Tomato, tomato. Mi casa, su casa. Right? Everyone gets a chance. And if everyone does the zipper method, we all, like magic, arrive where we need to meet. But, there, but there's, always, there's always some jerk or two or ten who either don't understand the zipper method or think the rules don't apply to them. Do you know those kind of people? The rules just don't apply to them. You know, they're the kind of people who don't put shopping carts back. Like, you know who I'm talking about. Or, or they simply don't trust the other cars, right? Well, if I let that schmuck in, he's going to let 10 of his friends in. And then I won't be able to go. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and 10 of my friends are going to go. And then what happens is there's congestion and every, no one gets to where they're supposed to be. If we all just do the zipper method, we will all get to where we need to be. And my kids will tell you that if I'm bringing them to school and the zipper method starts to fall apart, I turn into a Sith Lord. I turn into Darth Vader. You know, I'm like, I find your lack of faith disturbing. And I want to take out a lightsaber and I want to slash some tires. I mean, just the zipper method. If we all, I'll calm down. I'm sorry, it's early. I need, I need to calm down. If we just use the zipper method, we will all get to where we need to be. Oh, the games that we play with one another. That's the thing, is that the zipper method is a game. Do I trust the person on the other side? Do they trust me? What's the strategy here? Because if that person knows the zipper method, we're all good, and they'll go, and then I'll go, and then they'll go. But what if they aren't here to play the game? We could have problems. Game theory. Game theory is simply the, stra uh, the, the learning of strategy, the study of strategy. And this zipper method that we do every morning at Carpool is like what's called the prisoner's dilemma, which is the quintessential game to understand what game theory is. Do you know the prisoner's dilemma? The prisoner's dilemma is uh, you and your friend have both been arrested and you're at you know, total law and order, right? You're in separate rooms, and you're being questioned. Now the game is afoot. If you both stay silent, then you'll both get like a year or like probation, right? Don't say nothing. But if you stay silent and your friend rats you out, 
They don't serve any time at all, and you have to serve 10 years. Conversely, if you rat your friend out and they stay silent, you get off scot-free and they get 10 years. Or both of you can talk and you both get eight. So what do you do? What's the strategy? What's the, well, the first thing is don't get, like, don't break the law. Like, let's start there. Like, we're in a church, like, don't break the law. But if you happen to be in a tight place, <laughs> what do you do? What's the play? That's game theory. What is the strategy? How do we work with one another for the greater good? And our text this morning is Jesus playing game theory with the Pharisees, and he is a master at it. So this is what happens. It says, then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him, and said, so, so they sent their disciples uh, to him along with the Herodians, saying, teacher, oh, and listen to how they dole it on, right? Te oh, if you're a teacher in the first day of school, like, this is, this is how parents who want to get on your good side will, will talk to you. Just, just a heads up, teachers, and this is not your first rodeo. I'm sure you've heard this before. This is what they say. Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God accordance with the truth and show no difference to no one, and for you do not regard people with partiality. So they're laying it on thick, right? Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me a coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. At this point, Jesus has already won. He has already won the game that they want him to play. You see, they are at the temple. In Matthew chapter 22, they're at the temple. And there are certain things you can have in the temple and certain things you cannot have in the temple. And one of the things you can't have in the temple is a denarius. It is Roman money. Remember the money-changing tables that Jesus is about to flip in a couple of chapters? That's why they're there, is that you, you had to exchange your denarius, Roman currency, for the Jewish or the, the, the Israeli shekel. You had to have temple-safe money. So here's Jesus, show me a coin. When Jesus says, show me a coin, he establishes two things. <laughs> First, Jesus didn't have any money on him. Hard to, it's, it's not much fun to get into a discussion of taxes if you ain't got nothing, right? He didn't have anything, so why are we talking about taxes anyway? In other words, he presents their question as a problem of the affluent. And Jesus spent most of his time with the poor. As we also read in the Gospel of Matthew, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus spent most of his time with the poor, and the assumption is that Jesus himself was poor. Now, Jesus did not only spend time with the poor. He was with the Pharisees as well. He was with Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man. He was a very affluent wee little man. Show me a coin. I, I'm sorry, you want, you want to talk about tax? I don't, awkward, I don't, you're going to have to show me some money. So first, Jesus reveals that their question is a stupid, I'm going to use the S word. Jesus reveals that the question is a stupid question. There are such things as stupid questions. A stupid question is a question that is asked when an answer isn't really desired. They meant to entrap him. It's a stupid question. 
they're not really interested in if we are to pay taxes to Caesar or not. They want to cause harm. Secondly, they hand him a coin, and Jesus says, whose head is on this coin? Caesar's head is on this coin. So Jesus, yes, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And I've heard the sermon before teaching about discernment and what we are obligated to do as people of faith and that some things are cultural and some things of the world and we have an obligation here, but that some things are Christian and of the church and we have an obligation here and we should not mix the two streams and we need over here. We have, our, we have kind of our civic duty, but also our religious duty and give to Caesar what is Caesar's and, and give to God what is God's as if there's this uh, demarcation line in between the two. I'm not sure if that's what this is about. That's a fine sermon, I suppose. But that's not the point of what this interaction is tackling. When they give Jesus a coin with Caesar's head on it, Jesus reveals that the Pharisees have money that they're not supposed to have. The Pharisees are asking all of the other people to exchange their currency, but the Pharisees have money they're not supposed to have? It's like that jerk who doesn't understand the zipper method, where they let all of their friends in and make everybody else wait. They're making everyone else exchange their currency, but they themselves have Roman money on their person. So when Jesus says, show me a coin, first he's saying, I don't really know what to say about taxes when you ain't got nothing. But secondly, when he says, whose head is on this? Jesus knows whose head is on that, but he wants the crowd to hear. Whose head is on this? Oh, it's Caesar's. Well, isn't that, isn't that something, friends? They have the money in their pocket that they're making you exchange. And eventually Jesus overturns those tables so that God's house is no longer a den of thieves. This interaction is not about 21st century American tax code or how to divvy up holy work and secular work. It's about winning a game. In winning a game for the kingdom of God. As Christians, we are called to win. But it's the kind of victory that Paul explains in 2 Corinthians. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. <clears throat> then I am strong. For example, what does this look like? What does this game of strategy, what does this game theory mean as Christians? What are we called to do? Well, yes, we are called to win, but not by force or by malice or burning our opponent. It looks something like this. I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Imagine two children in a sandbox. It's the beginning of school. Imagine recess. Two they have 30 minutes for recess. And there are two kids in the sandbox. And the first kid says, bang, you're dead. Well, now, the second child has a decision to make. In every situation, you have three options. Here's option one. Bang, you're dead. Uh, 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 uh. 
It's a perfectly fine response to what has been handed to you. The problem is, what are you supposed to do for the next 29 and a half minutes of recess? Not much of a game. Well then, okay, well then let's move on to option number two. What is option number two? Um, bang, you're dead. <laughs> this game is stupid. I don't want to play this game. I want to do something else. I'm going to take my toys and go home. Fine. But again, with you and your friend, what are you going to do for the next 29 and a half minutes of recess if you've decided that you're just not going to play with each other? So let's move on to option three. What does option three look like? Bang, you're dead. Uh, now you have a game. Now you have a game. Right now you have 30 minutes full of recess where it's the walking dead. It's going to be awesome. And like this whole thing has opened up, right? Option one is called blocking where bang, you're dead. And you say, I don't want to play this game. It's dumb. And you reject what's being handed to you. It's kind of like, well, I know you're doing the zipper method, but I, have, I play by my own rules, right? Or, or option two is called accepting. You just accept it, and it's fine. Bang, you're dead, which is fine, but it's just not a whole lot of fun. Then there's option three, which is called over-accepting, which means accepting what is handed to you and figuring out how to make it work and how to add it into God's story and how to see what the Holy Spirit is doing within that story. So it's an appropriate response. Ooh, but then you add something to it and you bring some, and now you have a game. That is our job as Christians. Yes, there are some things to reject. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. With some footnotes. We talked about that last week. Remember running on the side of the pool, if you were here last week? Are you supposed to run on the side of the pool? Uh, well, it's kind of a bad idea because you might slip and fall and hurt someone. So yeah, thou shalt not run on the side of the pool. But if someone is in a place of emergency and they need you to get there, you better risk running to get to them, right? So option one is rejection. And there are some things as a church we are called to reject. Evil, you heard it in the baptismal, evil, oppression, evil, whatever forms they present themselves. Do you reject these things? Yes. There's also a lot as a church that we simply accept. I remember several years ago, I was at another church that shall remain nameless, and they wanted me to give my opinion about Tim Tebow praying in the end zone from the pulpit. And I said, well, he can, he can pray. That's fine. He could, also, he could also not pray. I just, I just, you don't have to have an I know Facebook wants you to have an opinion about everything. You don't have to have an opinion about everything. And the schmuck played for Florida, so I don't give a rip what Tim Tebow does with his time. I'd like to be ripped like Tim Tebow, but I don't give a rip of what, right? Most of the time as Christians, we are called to over-accept, which means we accept what the world has offered as a gift, and we reincorporate it into God's story and into our own. Blocking, accepting, and over-accepting. Or to think of it another way, and I've mentioned this before too, you know, what do you do with a carton of milk when it's done, Right? Rejecting means you throw it away. Like its story is done, it's going to go in a landfill, it's done. Accepting is like putting it on the shelf and just letting it collect dust and like admiring it. Like its story is over, but we're not done with it. We're just going to put it on. Option number three is like what? Recycling. Giving it a new story. Right? Giving it a new purpose. That's our job as Christians is to over 
accept. As Christians, we are called to win, not by burning our opponents or securing power or making sure that only Christians have political power. Remember that Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which is the hardest thing that Jesus said ever to do. And also remember that Jesus did not run a political campaign to change who was in the palace in Judea. He certainly spoke truth to power. He did not cut the Pharisees any slack. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. That is an indictment against the Pharisees. So he did not go soft with those who are in power. But he didn't say, you know what's going to save everything is let's just get a new, a, a new Caesar. If we get a new Caesar, then like all of our problems are going to be fixed. Hmm. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. In other words, what I am building doesn't play by the rules that Rome wants me to play by. The games we play with one another are great and small. It could be as simple as the zipper method, which is going to happen. I'm telling you, Wednesday, when you go in Carline, you're going to immediately think of this sermon. And you're going to think, yeah, he doesn't know the zipper method. And you're going to start a campaign like me. I darn near picketed last year with a sign for folks to do. So sometimes the games that we play are, are quite small and insignificant. Sometimes the games we play with one another are huge, like international finance. This is mind-blowing. So I went, I uh, had coffee with, I had a great fortune of having coffee with Dr. Holloman, who's the president of Centenary last week. He was in worship last week. He was like, hey, bada-bing, bada-boom, we should catch up. Like, great, see you tomorrow. So we had coffee in his office, and he was like, well, what's happening at Asbury? He's like, we're doing this new series called The Games We Play. It's about game theory. Let me tell you about it. He goes, no, no, no. My dissertation was in game theory. I'm like, oh, dang. Like, wait four weeks. Like, don't come back in the next four weeks. Like, wait, because this is like game theory light, you know, that, that we're doing right here. His dissertation, this is mind-blowing, his dissertation was on the way that Britain and France worked with the United States after Nixon ended the gold standard in 1971. I am not smart enough to understand even what that means, like how these international markets strategized against and with each other. Fascinating. Sometimes the games we play with one another are very small. Have you ever been with your significant other and you've decided where to go to dinner? Have you played that game? Where do you want to go? I don't really care. Okay, let's have hamburgers. I don't want hamburgers. You just said you didn't care where we went. Let's have Mexican. I don't really want chips and dip. Okay, you just said you didn't care where, you know. By the way, the way to do that is where do you want to go? Let me see if I can guess if that's where you want to go, you know. And you say uh, Chewy's or whatever. And like, oh my God, I was just thinking about Chewy's. Like, great, let's go there, right? That's, that, that little bit of marriage advice is for free. Like, I just give that to you. So the games that we play, sometimes they're really small. Sometimes, sometimes they're huge. I mean, in fact, the United Methodist Church right now is playing a bit of a game with itself. I'm not going to get into the specifics right now. Uh, though if you want to hang out after worship, we could talk all about it. We have a thing here at Asbury we call uh, Who We Are. Uh, and I hang out in the sanctuary for 30 minutes after worship. You can ask whatever you want. Ask a question about the sermon. Ask a question about what Asbury is and what Asbury does. You can ask a question about uh, St. Louis Cardinals baseball. Like, whatever you want to do, like, we hang out. So we can talk in more detail about this later. Um, but there is a bit of a game happening in the United Methodist Church. There are some who want to establish a more conservative expression of the Wesleyan tradition. But don't for a moment think that this is only about theology. 
It's also about property. It's also about power. It's also about money. It's also about sound bites and videos and publications and people flinging this and flinging that at each other. To be or, or not to be. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or, or to take up arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them to die, to sleep, no more. So what do you do? <laughs> How do you play this game? I'll say this, and the bishop's not going to like this, but I'll say it. If I have to convince you to remain United Methodist, I've already lost that game. I hope you love your church. I hope you love our church. If I have to convince you to stay, then I've already lost that game. Hmm. What might the world look like if we, through faith, humility, and wisdom, understand the games we play in everyday life? And what if we actually play them well? So, what I'm about to say is an introvert's nightmare. So just trust me, I saw a couple introverts go, what, excuse me, sorry. So just bear with me for literally like 45 seconds. We're gonna play a game. And I know as United Methodists, we don't like audience participation, but we're gonna do it. I want you to stand, stand up, this is gonna be fun. No, I promise you, just go ahead and stand up. I know I don't ever ask you to stand during a sermon, but here we go. We are going to play a game called Super Massive Multiplayer Thumb War. And this is what you're going to do. If you don't want to participate, that's totally fine. That's totally, you'll have to answer to Jesus for that, but that's totally fine. You don't have to play. No, seriously, if you don't like, if your personal bubble is very big right now and you have a trip coming up and you don't want to get any, like, that's totally fine. But what we're going to do, I want you to take the person on your right and the person on your left and as best as we can cross the streams and everyone in the entire room holding hands and we're going to play a thumb war. You know thumb war, right? One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war and you try to pin someone else's thumb. So what's going to happen? What's, yeah, you can go ahead. Go ahead and move and grab hands. We're going to play, but don't play yet. Everyone grab hands with everyone around you. That's right. Grab hands and what's going to happen is, yeah, you can do it. That's good. All right. All right, here's the instruction. Are you ready? The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. That's how you do it, friends. All right, instead of screaming, like, pay attention. Here are the rules. Here are the rules, all right? And we're all going to do it at the same time. One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war, and then you're going to pin, as best you can, the thumb that is, don't do it yet. Pay attention to the rules. So, some of you are not going to win anything. That's okay. Some of you are going to win one. Some of you are going to win two, and it's going to take something like 30 seconds. We're all going to do it together. Are we ready? Okay, here we go. One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war, and go. When you're done, you can sit. 
So how many of you did not win anything? It's okay. We are a people of grace. But congratulations, you participated in the first annual supermassive multiplayer thumb war at Asbury, right? How many of you won one of the games? Okay, a couple of you. Congratulations, you are a grand master of supermassive multiplayer thumb war, right? And now how many of you won both? Okay, congratulations, you are a legendary <laughs> You're a legendary grandmaster of supermassive multiplayer thumb war. So, <clears throat> so what just happened? Now, this is from uh, a, uh, a guy named Dr. Ken Evers Hood. He wrote his dissertation on game theory and, and theology. What happened? Number one, you were filled with curiosity. When I asked you to stand, people were like, "Are you sure?" I don't know, what is, what? We're upper middle class white Protestants. We don't stand during the sermon. <laughs> Curiosity. The next thing you experienced was surprise. Are we really thumb wrestling in the middle of the church? I would not have guessed that, but okay, here we go. Then there was excitement. Did you hear the laughter that was happening, right? There was also contentment. I didn't see a single person checking their phone while you were playing the game. One, your hands were occupied, but no one was like, how long is this, right? You were content. And what you felt was love. It takes about six seconds of holding someone's hand before serotonin is released and you start to feel connected with that human being. And we played for longer than six seconds. Curiosity, surprise, Excitement, contentment, and love. Imagine if that's what we offer the world. Imagine if that is what the church is known for. These are precisely the things that the church should be sharing, but too often, instead of curiosity, we offer suspicion. Instead of surprise, we offer what we have already heard and what is predictable. Instead of excitement, we play it safe. Instead of contentment, we search for an enemy to oppose. Instead of love, we prefer power. If we are winning at the games we play with one another, if the church is doing what the church is called to do, we will fill the world with curiosity, surprise, excitement, contentment, and love. This does not mean that the game is easy. <laughs> this does not mean that there isn't suffering or hardship or nakedness or peril or sword. But it does mean that we have revealed to the world that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Even if there are those in power who say, are we to pay taxes or not? We meet them by saying, well then, show me a coin. I'll play. I'll play the game. Show me a coin. The key verse that I, would, that I want you to think about uh, over the next four weeks, and I know the sermon is long, man. I, it's almost 11 o'clock. Just be nice to the Baptists when they have your seat at the hickory stick over in Shreveport. Um, so I have, uh, yeah, here it is. 
So our key verse, this is great. So we have these. These are Asbury playing cards. How fun is that? Now, we made them in-house, and, you know, we, we didn't like order. So we, this, it's as close to a card as we could possibly get to a card. Uh, and this is on the table outside, the big sorry table that you saw. Uh, they're in the center of the table, and I want you to pick one up. Our key verse is on the back of this, and I want you to just, I want, I want you to carry this with you over the next four weeks. And we have plenty. If we run out, I have plenty in my office, right? Here's the verse. It's from Colossians chapter 3. It says, above all, above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in the one body and be thankful. Be thankful. At the very least, for God's sake, use the zipper method when you are in Carline on Wednesday, on the first day of school. If we all use the zipper method, I promise you, we will all get to where we need to be. And as much as I don't wanna, you have to love the schmucks who aren't gonna follow it too. Mm. The things that Jesus asks us to do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day and for this opportunity to be filled with curiosity and excitement and surprise, contentment and love. Help us to be victorious in the world, but not through power or burning our enemy, but through humility, meekness, kindness. May we be weak so that Christ is strong. Give us the courage to be as innocent as doves, but as wise as the serpent, so that your kingdom may flourish. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.